Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's your 2020 National Signing Day FizzCast. Hello, everybody. Gil Gross, Jaron May, Thomas Schultz. The 2020 class is in. The papers are signed. Let's just do uh, initial thoughts on the class, how we're feeling about uh, what went down yesterday. Thomas? Yeah, I thought this was really somewhat of a predictable class. Nothing really exciting or major happened. Everybody signed that they expected to sign yesterday. Only one guy didn't sign. Dino Babers pulled in five offensive line recruits, three D linemen. That was a big emphasis. And just a really solid class is seemingly fill some holes, a lot of holes on this roster so far. My take on this is it was a solid class when you put it in perspective of Syracuse recruiting classes. And that's still not good enough to be able to compete in the ACC and be able to get to bowl games. They nationally rank 53rd. Last year, they were 58. Last year, we thought the recruiting class was fantastic. And when you look down the line, Dino Babers has had just mediocre 50s, 60s. Sometimes he'll touch the high 40s, but really not. Like this recruiting class before was in the high 40s at the beginning of it, and we were happy about that. But then a couple of recruits got shifted. They got moved down to three stars. Deuce Chestnut used to be a four star. Now he's a three star. So yeah, when you look at this recruiting class, it's okay in the Dino Babers era, but you got to look at it in the larger perspective. And if you're a Syracuse fan, it's still not good enough. And to go off of what Jaron was saying right now, they're the third worst class in the ACC. Dino Baber started his press conference saying, we're really excited about this class. This is the second best class in our era. Duke's going to pass this class. They have 18 signees. Syracuse has 20. They're going to finish second worst in the ACC. So that's a problem going forward for the Orange. This is kind of how it's been, though, for a really long time now, where there seems to be kind of a cap on, uh, I want to say like 47 in the country and Syracuse can never really move past that. And, and you're right. When you look at this class, it's on the good end of that range. It's just not a great range. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I've put a lot of thought into why Syracuse is in this position. Uh, I think a big part of it is, is losing to schools like Boston College. But I also think a large part of it is Pennsylvania and New York have just gotten worse. So there's no local talent pools for Syracuse to pull from. Do you think that's a, a good assessment? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that is true. And when there are good guys, like good players in the New York area or the Pennsylvania area, or say you, you go to Massachusetts, but Massachusetts usually is not a big football uh, state, they're still losing out on those big name recruits, even when one or two pop up. I mean, when you look at the Syracuse recruiting class, and when you look at probably your biggest recruit from New York, you go to Elijah Fuentes. He's from the Bronx. He's a three-star. He's not the best recruit out of New York. And I mean, he's number eight in the state. So there's seven guys in front of him that you missed out on. Um, so yes, I do agree that New York is probably not the best section of football in the state or, or in the country. However, even when they are recruiting local, they are missing. It's really interesting. And like Jaron said, you can't really recruit well in New York. And when they do, they're not doing a great job of it. Now they did land Malik Matthew. He's the number four guy in the state this yeah. year. 
but they're missing out on guys like Seven McGee, the top-ranked guy from Rochester, so a pretty local guy. He's going to Oregon. I remember Gil Adisa Isaac a couple years ago, a guy that they were in the Final Four for. He was a top 150 edge rusher from New York. He goes to Penn State, so it's tough to recruit in-state. You can't really recruit maybe Connecticut, Massachusetts, a lot of those northeastern states. Maybe you can go slide into Penn, Pennsylvania a little bit, Maryland somewhere where Dino Babers has been focused, but a lot of this Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, he's been big in. He try, he's trying to recruit more nationally when he should probably focus more on Ohio, Pennsylvania area as well. Well, and actually, Gil, I looked up some numbers just to back up your point. When you look at the New York just recruits, there's actually only two four-star recruits in the entire state. And it's Seven McGee, like you talked about, Thomas, and uh, Jazion Harris. He went to Texas A&M. So Syracuse got the number three, number four, and number eight in the state. So I guess that kind of disproves what I was saying before. They did get kind of a lot of New York recruits, and the uh, three of the top eight recruits are going to Syracuse. However, you missed out on the only top – well, the top two, the only – four-star recruits um, in the state of New York. So it's kind of, yes, you're right, but they're also missing out on a little bit. Right. If you want to make a program out of the Northeast, you have to absolutely dominate this area. And that's why Jeff Halfley at Boston College kind of terrifies me because I think he's an amazing (laughs) head coach and I think he's going to steal a lot of recruits from Syracuse. He already has. Uh, But at the end of the day, this is where we are. This program is a development program, I think would be the the proper term for it. You don't recruit guys who are ready. You recruit guys who have a lot of upside, and then you turn them into something that that turns into a a player who can help your team, like a Garrett Williams who took a redshirt year and was a star this year. To me, this class will be defined by one player. The, The success or the failure of this class is all about Justin Lamson. Now, I don't know... If, um, you know, I don't know if I'm oversimplifying it, but Syracuse needs a quarterback and Tommy DeVito and Jacoby and Morgan, they're, they're not really ready to carry the load here. So it's going to be about how good can Justin Lampson end up being. And that's how we'll look back at the 2020 class in my opinion, 2021, sorry. Right. And I was actually talking with Thomas a little earlier this week about Lamson because Thomas was able to talk to him and you can go check out that um, interview on our SoundCloud page at Orange Fizz. Um, But Lamson is not only a great player, but he's also just an awesome guy. And if you go and listen to that interview, he seems like the leader that Syracuse needs. And Sure, a lot of physical attributes are really comparable to Eric Dungy, and you always hear the connection between him and Dungy. And personally, I'm on board with that. I think that Lamson could lead up to an Eric Dungy-esque player um, physically and on the field, but I also think that Lamson can bring the leadership and kind of the exposure or just kind of uh, experienced player from a young guy that this team needs because Jacoby and Morgan came in and you could see he just didn't really have control of this team as a true freshman. I think Justin Lamson's a different type of player and could come in year one if Tommy DeVito is struggling and really be a, a solid presence in the backfield and a leader for the SU offense. 
I spoke to Lampson and I spoke to Justin Lampson's head coach this summer, Eric Cavalier, and he said he's never had a guy like Justin Lampson before. And that's kind of coach speak generally, but at El Dorado Hills, Ian Book went there as well, Notre Dame star quarterback. So that's pretty high praise for Justin Lampson, obviously Syracuse's three-star commit here. Um, but I think Lampson, he's, he's a guy that played everywhere in high school. He played safety. He was their quarterback. He was their punter. He got hurt on a punt, <laughs> covering a punt, injured his knee. And he basically made a deal with the coaching staff. They didn't want to let him play, but he said, all right, if you let me play, I won't run the football. Bear in mind, they run an RPO scheme. So it's a little bit tough to do that if the quarterback's not going to run, but he made it work. He became a lot better passer, which was something that his coach said, you know what, maybe in the long run, this wasn't such a bad idea because he became more accurate. So I think like Jaron saying, he can kind of be this dual threat quarterback, which frankly seems to work better in Dino Baber's offense, especially if this offensive line continues to be problematic, Eric Dungey was able to escape the pocket. Tommy DeVito, not so much. But I, look, Justin Lampson, he could be the guy going forward. And it seems like he should be, whether that's replacing Tommy DeVito or trying to step in and fill his role. Yeah, well, I love that he's athletic. I love that he's mobile. Because if you have reservations about putting in a true freshman quarterback, one, you got to make sure that he understands the playbook and that he has a good handle on that. And that's very important. But the second thing is you have to be able to protect yourself. And that's why I feel like there's a higher chance that that Justin Lampson can come in and be trusted to protect himself because he's so athletic, because he's got, you know, six, three size and he can move really, really well. Um, so so I kind of like that. With that being said, Syracuse needs to hit the transfer market for a quarterback as well. Really? Wow. OK, <laughs> I was not ready. I was not ready for that one. You're, you're, you're not even in on Tommy DeVito half season this year and Lamson taking over at the end of next season. Look, Tommy DeVito is a viable quarterback, right. but there is a ceiling on <laughs> Syracuse's potential with DeVito under center. And it's a ceiling that Syracuse fans or Dino Babers for that matter, who is starting to feel the pressure. They're not going to like that ceiling. Period. Well, in you need better quarterback play. You need yeah. it. No, no. I, I mean, I, I agree. Yes, they do need a better quarterback. And hopefully, I, I said this to Thomas earlier, like I and Gil, you were alluding to it. A lot rides on Lamson's shoulders for this recruiting class and for Syracuse moving forward. I just, I can't say it enough. I hope he lives up to the hype because he's getting a lot of attention. And if he falls and is a dud, I don't know where Syracuse goes from here. And going back to Tommy DeVito a little bit, I think I have a theory that one of the main reasons why he struggled so much is because he's never been protected, right? Like he's has this tendency of just getting rid of the football immediately, or he holds on to it too long. I think he's never reached his potential. And I don't know if that's the sole reason. I don't think it is. I think there's a lot that you could say about Tommy DeVito himself, but not having any offensive line helps got to be detrimental to his growth. We're getting off topic because this is a signing day special, but, but, but Thomas, <laughs> Rex Culpepper wasn't getting sacked. He wasn't. It wasn't happening. Uh, I think he got sacked. Okay, going into the Notre, Notre Dame game, I know from, from memory, Culpepper had been sacked 10 times. DeVito, in three games, no, no, what was it four and a half? Because uh, he went out at halftime yeah. of the yes. Duke game. Yeah. So four and a half. Took 20 sacks. 20. <laughs> so at a certain point, it's on the quarterback. And I think for a really long time, the offensive line, which hasn't been good, don't get, my, don't get me wrong, hasn't been good. For way too long, the offensive line has been taking too much heat 
for the number of sacks that Syracuse has given up. Well, so here's the thing, though. Like, yes, they had the most sacks of any ACC team in the conference this year. They also averaged the least amount of rushing yards of any team in the conference as well. So per game, just under 100, they're the only team to do that. And it seems like that's actually finally a hole that they're filling here with five offensive linemen in this class. Nice segue. Okay. Let's get back to the <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Good job, Thomas. Uh, in terms of the, the O-linemen and the D-linemen, though, th- those guys aren't going to be ready to play. Let's be very, very clear. There is a certain level of recruit that is required for, for a player to be ready to play on the interior, in the trenches. And generally, that's a four-star or five-star guy. You're really – I mean, Bergeron was an aberration after uh, – after, uh, Ryan Alexander left the team um, and and he played really well, but that is the exception. With that being said, I think Syracuse is in a pretty good position because you don't necessarily need those guys right away. Right. And I think this offensive line, as much flack as it does get, has some experience, especially with Aaron Service coming back this next season. So, and Chris Bleich will now be be eligible. He gets his year back. The NCAA just made that announcement um, this past week. So you have those two guys really leading Ryan Alexander or rather uh, Matthew Bergeron is um, a a solid piece. So I think this offensive line will be okay for next year. And that gives one year of a lot of offensive linemen recruits that are coming in, in this class of 2021, just to learn their freshman year red shirt, if they need to, um, to keep that four years of eligibility, but there's a lot of talent in this recruiting class. I mean, the big name is is Enrique Cruz. I mean, a three-star um, guy that is 6'5", 252. He's one of the best offensive line recruits that Syracuse has had in quite a while. Um, and he's the big name, but there's also just a handful of guys that you can see potential in that they could be a, a, a solid presence on the offensive line down the road. Callen, uh, Callen Ellis, 6'5", 350. I mean, just pure size-wise, you can't compare a high school player to Ellis. He's just an absolute monster. And what's really interesting, going back to Enrique Cruz, the second best commit in this class, Coach Mike Cavanaugh, obviously with all the recruits, they post a little video. Yesterday he said Enrique Cruz was up to 290 pounds. I don't know how accurate that is, but if he's you know put on 40 pounds since the last time he was ranked, that's pretty impressive. That's a guy that could maybe come in and play very quickly, but – Besides guys, those two, I mean, you also bring in Austin Cowhees, who's a, you know, guy who Hawaiian, from Hawaii, they, they really like him down there. Um, Tyler Magnuson's another guy who is probably going to take a little bit of time uh, to just, you know, get adjusted to ACC football, but he grew up in Minneapolis. His dad's a, a high school coach there, and then Wes Ho out of Glen Allen, Illinois, near Chicago is a guy that they also, I think, really like an offensive guard. So it seems like they're filling a lot of holes here, not just on the tackle positions but also in the interior and I think hopefully if you're a Syracuse fan that's going to be really promising in two three years down the road I asked Enrique Cruz about his weight where where it's at where he wants to be um and I I'm not I don't memorize exactly what he told me I don't think it was 290 but check out all of our recruiting interviews wherever you get your podcasts now the thing that I want to and maybe we can leave it here or unless you guys have anything else with the offensive line with an offensive line class 
you don't have to hit on all five. And especially just to have five offensive linemen in one recruiting class is a win for Dino Babers because you usually only see three or four per class and you hit on maybe one of them and they contribute. If you have five coming in and you can hit on two of them, and I think there are two legitimate players, uh, offensive linemen in this class of 2021 that can be starters for Syracuse down the line, Enrique Cruz and Ellis. I think both of those guys have potential. You give them a year, maybe two, maybe even if they need three, allow them to redshirt and they can contribute as sophomores, juniors, and seniors, whatever it may be. But if you can hit on those two, I mean, offensive line wise, this class of 2021 is a massive win for Syracuse football. And it's so important. And I hope everyone realizes this at this point with what we've seen over the last couple of years, the offensive line is, it's like after your quarterback, that's the next most important position group. It needs to be good. It has to be better. So it is really good to see uh, Dino Babers kind of filling that hole and, and his staff really focusing on that position group. Before we go, let's talk about who we expect to, uh, to make the biggest impact in this class. Let's go with just our, our favorite guys, Jaron. Um, I, I think I would go Justin Lamsom, um, but since we already talked about him, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll push him over. Um, I think Amari Hatchet, Hatcher, sorry, um, is a really big, uh, has, has a lot of upside. Um, when you look at his, um, his tape and his size, I think it's very comparable to some of the other Syracuse wide receivers that have had success um, in the Dino Babers era. And now with Sterling Gilbert, I mean, things, some things change, so you'll have to wait and see. But the speedy kind of taller guys and and Hatcher is listed at 6'3 as a wide receiver that's pretty tall now he's a little underweight he's a little skinny for his size 6'3 175 you'd obviously want him to bulk up and I I mean every high school player that steps into a college weight room will add weight and will add strength and especially here at Syracuse I know that they put a lot of emphasis on bulking guys up so if Hatcher's able to add some strength to his size, I think that he could be a really big weapon for the Syracuse offense on the outside that doesn't have as bright of a future as some of the other um, areas, the other positional groups on this Syracuse, especially on the offensive side of things. I think the wide receivers have talent now, but when you look down the line in two or three years, they're going to need someone, and I think Hatcher could be that guy. Even right now, it's kind of bare after Taj. Right. No, no, no offense to Anthony Queeley, good player, but you know if uh, I if there's a difference maker, he'll take Queeley's uh, position readily. Right. And you and you don't know if Nikeem Johnson, who right. could be graduating, he could be coming back. But even if he does, that's for one more year. So I think the wide receivers need some help, and Hatcher could be that guy. I'm gonna Thomas go. guy. I'm going to go on the other side of the ball. I'm going to give you two names since the first one's kind of obvious. Deuce Chestnut, obviously the top-rated commit in this class. He's a cornerback out of Camden, New Jersey, like Jared mentioned a little bit earlier. Was a four-star, got delegated down to a three-star, but he's probably in that range somewhere. He's a guy in with Nick Monroe as their secondary's coach. We've seen for the past few years now. You had Andre Sisco, Trill Williams, Ify Melifonu, now Garrett Williams. They're always producing guys. And Deuce Chestnut just seems like he's going to be that next guy in the Syracuse secondary, especially in the 3-3-5, where he's just going to be a, a guy that they rely on to go 
play man-to-man and shut down a receiver in the next couple of years. So he's the first guy that pops off of my mind. And the second one is going to be sticking with the secondary here. There are two uh, secondary commits. Malcolm Polk is a guy that from Pennsylvania, they really like kind of in the mid range of this commit class, but he's a safety six foot one, 190 pounds. He played both sides of the football wide receiver and safety. And Tony White said, we like guys who play both sides because you guys, you need people who are just playmakers on defense, especially in the three, three, five in the ball hawking secondary. Malcolm Folk is that he's going to be, they're expecting to use him in that Rover role right now. So they have Jihad Carter there right now. Uh, Malcolm Folk might be the guy that backs him up next season and then see if he goes forward once Carter gets a little bit more experience maybe they move him around but folks a guy that could probably get on the field pretty early maybe that's not at the rover role but somewhere in the secondary with five defensive backs I also want to add one more name in here Gail before you are able to put in your name um and when you look at the recruiting page on 24-7 for Syracuse there's you have to scroll pretty far down to find this guy's name and he's a three-star nationally he's unranked um, he's the 30 best, 31st best player um, in the state of Pennsylvania. So he's not jumping off the page, but it's Josh Huff. And I, I know that Syracuse kind of found a running back already in Sean Tucker, but Tucker's more of a speedster. He's not really the grind it right through the middle who's going to be able to bulldoze over some defenders. And Josh Huff is that type of big body that you can hand off on the goal line or when you just need two yards for a first down or whatever it may be. Huff is a bigger guy at 6'2", 235. And of course, he's going to add some more muscle on. So looking forward, the running back position is really solid for Syracuse. You have Sean Tucker who emerged this year, Huff coming in, and maybe a couple other names return for next year, um, taking that extra year of eligibility. But yeah, running back wise, I'm very pleased with where Syracuse football is right now. I think you guys really hit on, on all the most important names. Uh, and, and I'm glad Nick Monroe got a mention because he deserves it because he's the best assistant on this staff. Again, he, he pulled in a great class. He has the headliner with Deuce Chestnut. I think if he is going to go to the NFL, let me get a survey on that. Yes. Do you agree? Yeah. I think. Okay. He'll so, at least test the waters. Yeah. So uh, I do not expect Melifon move back. We've seen, freshmen kind of come in and in the Syracuse secondary and have a lot of success. So Deuce Chestnut, someone to watch all Nick, all Nick Monroe guys, that includes uh, Malik Matthews in the edge rushing spot. I'll also give, give him a mention as someone who could make a difference down the road, but ultimately I, I think it's important to note everyone's pretty much coming back on this team. There are not a lot of holes to fill. I think 72% of players who traveled to Notre Dame for the last game of the season Yep. or underclassmen, yep. which is nuts. <laughs> and that just gives this class time to, let's use a Dino Babers, uh, Dino Babersism, time to stay in the oven, bake a little bit, mm-hmm. mold. And uh, I think I think that's a good thing. I think we could get really good things out of this class. I'm excited. Any parting thoughts? No, I mean, uh, they got 19 recruits on early National Signing Day. There's another National Signing Day in February. They only expect one, but maybe there'll be some surprises. And hopefully it'll be a little more entertaining because yesterday was pretty cookie cutter what we expected. Yeah, it seems like this could be an opportunity for them to try to grab some transfers, guys who can play right away, use those spots in a different way where they're not coming in with an incoming freshman and, and try to find guys that can fill roles immediately. But Gil, 
you sent a message yesterday. It, that's kind of a Dino Baberism. The oven's at 350. The cake's baking. <laughs> I think they're trying to get it up to 425 pretty soon. <laughs> Looking for 425. Maybe down the road we can put that thing on broil, but let's take it one step at a time. A dramaless early signing day for Syracuse, and we'll wrap that up here. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at OrangeFizz, and reading all the stuff up on our site for more depth than we can possibly talk about uh, on this format. It's orangefizz.net. From Gilgros, Jaron May, and Thomas Schultz, thanks for listening, and uh, make sure you're keeping it locked on Orange Fizz on every platform.